Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chef's Meal, where we talk about whatever and never and everything else in between. Guys, thank you again for tuning in to another Chef's Meal today. A special guest, Mr. Aiden from Stories Behind the Grind. What's up, Aiden? Hey, Casey. Happy to come on the show. It's, um, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, is uh, is it pronounced Aiden, or am I am I not butchering your name? Is that okay? <laughs> no, that's fine. I um, <laughs> just uh, try my surname, and uh, you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, and so I actually have four names. I don't know if you knew that. No, well, no not, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, so I shortened it to Casey because it's it's too much of a hassle. So I understand the whole the whole thing. <laughs> Got to do what's easy for other people, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, if you don't mind, uh, can you tell us why you started a podcast? Yeah, so if I go back a couple of years, so about two and a half years ago, I started Stories Behind the Grind. But at that point, it was just talking to business owners to uncover their stories, a bit of their backstory, the challenges they overcame, and um, a bit of advice they would have for others um, on, on an, I guess, in featuring their profile on, on an Instagram page. And it was about nine months later, I was li- listening to a lot of Gary V at the time, and he was really, at that time, talking about how everyone should start a podcast, mm-hmm. if you can. And I thought it was such a natural extension to what I was already doing uh, that I would, uh, that I would you know, start the podcast and sort of November 2017 was when it all started. I was reading my school's alumni newsletter. They came uh-huh. out and, and through that found someone who was the year above me who I thought would be a great first guest. He had uh, recently started his own marketing company and I thought, you know, a lot of small businesses would benefit from hearing a bit of marketing advice to build their business. That's often one of the biggest Absolutely. things, you know, to, to generate leads. And so that's yeah. how it all started. I um, I went to the went to a, um, a shop that sold audio equipment, re- did a bit uh-huh. of research online, asked a few people about what microphone they would recommend. And with about $100, a laptop and um, Audacity, a free software editing tool, the, um, the podcast oh, yeah. started. And that's sort yeah, of where yeah. it all began. Got it. Now, you, you do marketing. That's like your main, that's your main meat and potatoes kind of. Uh, the podcast is more of a marketing tool for small businesses. So there's a range of ways for them to get involved. Um, so really, for the for the guys, those that come on the podcast, it's a way for them to market their business. But really, it's a way to share their expertise and insight, so that smaller ah. owners can sort of implement in their own business, sort of tactical advice that they can take from the show and then apply to mm-hmm. their business. So that's the whole sort of purpose behind it all, to really just help these small uh, businesses out, because there is a lot of failure in the system. I understand you now. Now, if you don't mind, you have an accent. Where are you from? I'm from Australia. Um, in a place ah. called Brisbane in Queensland. Wow. Are you in Australia now? Yeah, 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 I am. So it's a winter at the moment. Um, it's not it's too cold. It's winter there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. What? Well, can you just tell me about something about winter in Australia? Yeah, so I'm based um, based in Queensland, based in Brisbane, and the weather doesn't get too extreme down here, so I'm, I'll be talking in Celsius. Uh, mm. So, so at the moment, it probably gets down to about uh, eight degrees in the morning, eight degrees Celsius, oh, wow. and probably a max of about 23, 24 degrees during the day. Really? Mm, so it's quite, it's not too bad. I mean, there are places further south in Melbourne and Sydney that might get, you know, negative, negative Celsius. So oh, wow. we have it pretty lucky here in Brisbane. It's pretty good. Uh, and it, does that remain the entire year kind of as like a middle point on all the seasons? Uh, so in summer, it can go up to about 40 degrees on a really hot day. Oh, wow. Minimum probably about 27. So, uh-huh. yeah, anywhere between, yeah, I guess, you know, 
five degrees to forty degrees Celsius is sort of the range of you know here in here in Australia. So like like Florida, kind of. I guess so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's about the same if you go down to Florida here in the states. It, it gets about just around there, like thirty-two, their lowest Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. and their highest would be like I don't know a hundred or something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds um, yeah, 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 pretty pretty close to Florida then. Now, if you don't mind, can we talk about some points? Because what you talk about is really interesting. And uh, you sent me some notes. And I, I kind of want to go through it, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. Now, granted, I am a cooking, not a cooking, but I am a cooking slash food-based podcast. I, I talk about my restaurant all the time. But I'm always intrigued on what other people do and what they eat. So I'll ask you the question, right? And then just answer it how you would. And then I'll, I'll tie it into food altogether. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So really quickly, uh, what do you absolutely refuse to eat? Well, celery. I hate celery. Celery? And, and strawberries. Really? Yeah, I can't stand the taste. Is it texture or is it just pure taste? Oh, I think strawberry is probably a bit of both. And celery, it's, it's pure taste because it's crunchy. So I don't mind eating crunchy things. It's just the taste of celery that just doesn't, doesn't blend with me. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, I get it. How about cooked celery? Yeah, look, if it if it's cooked like finely chopped up in a in a dish, and maybe if it's sauteed a bit, I'd be okay. But if it's you know still still in chunky bits, and I can see it, uh, probably not. <laughs> I actually had growing up, I um I refused to eat fruit entirely, completely. Oh, wow. So mum and dad had a, a a lot of difficulty getting me to eat any any type of fruit at all. I'm a bit better these days, <laughs> but yeah, I was a bit of a fussy eater growing up. Uh, that's okay. I, I think everybody was a fussy eater at uh, one time, but you know we we grow out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your taste uh, really develops. Quick, yeah, your taste definitely develops, and then it overdevelops. Actually, once you're like once you hit fifty or sixty, then everything is like either too too hot or too cold or not enough. Needs mm-hmm. more salt. Needs more pepper, etc. I I face this in a restaurant all the time. Um, quick tangent. Uh, this morning, one of one of the guests. Uh, sent back the chowder that we have in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. He said it was too cold. Now, mind you, I tipped this thing. It was at one sixty-five. That is pretty hot. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I heated it up to two hundred, sent it back out, and he goes, "That was perfect temperature." <laughs> <laughs> that is scalding. Two mm-hmm. hundred degrees uh, is enough to uh, to burn your skin off. Yeah, that, that's quite hot. That's about ninety degrees Celsius, give or take. Mm-hmm. So that, that's it's, quite uh, that's quite toasty. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, no, no, this is perfect." I was like, oh, "Okay, cool. Hope you don't burn your tongue there, you know." But anyway, uh, why do you think successful businesses need to harness culture, commercially, and systems, and a lack of any of these will cause business decay? Yeah, so really, I, I see businesses as a as an intersection of three different key areas. So culture is such an important one. The people of the business. Without without the team getting on and without the team being co- cohesive, you're really just having you really just end up with having a bunch of individuals uh, with different mm-hmm. aspirations. And if you're not getting them aligned, then it's going to be really hard to harness them when when times get tough. In terms of commerciality, if if you're not making money at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your team culture is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, you know you, you can't sustain it into the future. And then without systems, if you're always doing things from the start and don't have a process to follow, then you're, you're really wasting time and potential of what you could be doing. I get it. Now, any one of those that suffer 
you think will offset it or maybe just or rather I should ask if one of those is suffering can you still function or if one of those do not work at all you're more destined to fail yeah look you you probably function in the short term but any any sort of prolonged effort if you really have if you're really missing one then you won't be able to build a long-term business based off it because it'll it'll eventually crumble. You know, you can have the best system in the world, you can make make all this money, but if, if you're constantly turning over staff, you know, you'll you'll end up building a reputation that you're not a good place to work for. Your clients will get upset that staff are changing all the time, and you know, mm. so there's those long-term ramifications. For example, yeah, I'm always trying to harness culture. That's like my my one main thing in the restaurant because. It's not necessarily the turnover that I'm worried about. It's more of making every sh- making uh, making sure that everyone's on the same page, right? I have what what I call vets. I have people. I have seven staff that have been there for 14 years in my restaurant, and they're amazing all together. But it also comes with challenges because they've been there so long. Um, they have different quirks and 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 processes that they do to begin with that is normal to them. So once kind of corporate says hey this is the new style of doing it we have not really um, a friction there but at least some kind of um you're you're like trying to teach an old dog new tricks you know Mm -hmm. and then in terms of commerciality um how would you how would you tackle that for somebody or for for a business that doesn't know how to market themselves well look there, there are two aspects really um one, I would have, I guess, an understanding of the, the numbers of your business. So every business will have different expectations in terms of what a good gross profit is, net profit is, what a good sort of turnover to staff ratio is. So if you don't have one already, I'd definitely be sourcing you know, an accountant or, or a very skilled bookkeeper to give you an understanding of what the numbers mean, unless you want to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it yourself, ensure you've got expertise in that area. Mm, I do. I do all the numbers myself. And I guess from a from a marketing point of view, I mean there are there are so many different ways to market these days. Um, your business, I mean, social media is probably the the most varied way to do it. But you know, really comes mm. back to, down to understanding. I mean, it's it's said all the time, but understanding who who you want to serve and who your demographic is, and tailoring what you do to, towards that demographic that you want to attract. At the end of the day, you, you can I guess you can have all the fancy funnels and all the fancy. You know, Instagram ads and Facebook ads, but really at the core of all that is it's really just understanding your avatar and understanding, you know, mm. who's that who's that ideal client or ideal customer that you want to serve in your business. Now, are you against Facebook marketing ish, like Instagram marketing? Are you are you for that? Yeah, look, I, I think it's um I'm not against it, but I think you can you can spend a lot of money on it if you don't know who you're targeting or who you want to target and I think not having going too broad is and then doing Instagram or Facebook ads may not be the best way to do it you may be better off spending more time understanding who exactly you want to serve and what that person looks like before you engage in a lot of advertising spend and I guess at the end of the day word of mouth is still quite powerful as well in terms of a um, advertising and marketing medium and not Mm. to neglect that purely at the expense of social either so you really need to have a multifaceted marketing approach when it comes to your business. I get it. Because uh, 80% of at least the market that we do 
are catered towards the 30 to 50 year olds because it, it's not necessarily an old style restaurant, but the dishes and the way they're kind of prepared and the aesthetic uh, markets to the older uh, people. So a lot of word of mouth, actually, like 80, 80 to 85% is word of mouth uh, and about 15% max or 10 to 15 just depending on what uh, what that month is, uh, are spent on social media like Facebook, Instagram. But even so, that's uh, really limited on what we can do because corporate likes to, I'm not saying try to keep tabs on it, but they don't like, it needs to go through them first and they'll decide on how much they're going to interact with it. But other than that, we're, we're nine, out, nine times out of 10, we're always uh, word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth can really be boosted by just pl- providing a great customer experience when they come into your restaurant as well, and just focusing yeah. on that—that that whole sort of end-to-end, you know, the, from first interaction to last interaction of them going through your business mm-hmm. and making sure all those touch points are um, are aligned. Yeah. Now, have you ever worked with a restaurant or or just maybe some kind of um, you know food-based business? Yeah, so I, that's actually where I started uh, one of my first jobs. So I started off at a food court when I was about 14 years old and I spent 10 years there. So I worked every, almost every weekend and every, every school holiday and university holiday um, at that business. So I learned a lot from front of house to back of house to admin to stock Um, really just the the whole sort of um, food court sort of operation. And then after that, I've worked in a number of cafes as well, so I've, I've I've worked in quite hospitality is quite quite a um a strong pillar of um my experience base. Got it. So you pretty much did everything. Yeah, pretty much. The only thing I didn't do at that food court was HR, and I guess if I'd stayed any <laughs> lot because I, I at that point in time I wasn't that interested in it. I just saw it as a lot of paperwork and um and filing. I didn't really understand at that time because I was only about seventeen. I didn't quite understand the the importance of it all and we, we we went we went through quite a lot of staff so we would probably have like 80 or 90 percent turnover year on year so every every i guess oh, quarter wow. every holiday school holiday that we come back there'd always be you know 20 new people new staff mm. yeah wow which wow, was wow, which wow, i wow. guess which was okay must be a little well it was okay um i guess in the short term because I guess drawing back to what we we're going before, they had they had pr- processes and procedures and systems, and they yeah. had enough of the they they were making enough money, so they could sustain. Oh, I get you, I get you. So they could sustain having that staff turnover for that period of time. Mm-hmm. I think they eventually I sold the it. business um, later on down the track, but yeah, yeah. Maybe it was modeled for short term more so than long term because I, I get it too. Sometimes, especially during. Christmas season. Christmas season begins October for us. And most of the times they'll need one or two short-term hires. Um, and I always say, I always mention when in the hiring process, like, hey, I'm only looking for a couple months. That's literally all it is just to get it to the push. Um, no hard feelings at all when it comes to the new year because everything will drop in sales because nobody wants to spend money in, come January, February when they just dropped everything in December. And they kind of understand it, but most of the times people get all but hurt about it. But that's the kind of um, what I what I mean. The most turnovers we're gonna do. Well, I'll, I'll probably hire like five or six just for those uh, few months, and then get rid of them uh, come January. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I guess as long as you're upfront about it, 
to the staff member to begin with. As long as I guess expectations are clear, then there, there should be no problem with it. If that you know, if they understand that it's only a short term thing, then mm-hmm. that's the way it now, is. In terms of cooking, though, I'm, now I'm interested. Have you have you ever cooked professionally? Because you you mentioned you work in the back. But even though you're working more in a marketing kind of sense or, you know, putting your feelers out there, have you ever done any kind of cooking whatsoever? Yeah. Not, professionally? I guess not not as a chef, uh, but I've definitely done like a short order. So in, in the a number of cafes I've worked, I've done a bit of short order cooks. So, you know, making sandwiches and um, I guess when I was at the food court, you know, making burgers, making sandwiches, being on the grill, um being on the deep fryers. So I've done a lot of a lot of that stuff, but in terms of crafting a dish, putting it together and serving it in a restaurant, I haven't had any experience. I haven't had experience on that side. Uh, that's not too bad. At least you know how to cook. Yeah, yeah. I, I come from a yeah, I come from a um, Italian background. So cooking and food is a part of the culture. So really, really enjoy doing it. Got it. It's it's always good to to have that set skill because it's few and far in between actually nowadays. If you think about it. I, I ask all my younger staff actually like do you guys know how to cook they're like ah uh, you know we order some takeout <laughs> yeah I think it's 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 a really really good skill to have you know you can save a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot to get the basics and I mean with YouTube these days you, you know you, you could you could learn off that really it's mm-hmm. but it's yeah it's such a valuable life skill to have oh, it really is now uh, we have another uh, question here from you uh, how is showing vulnerability uh, a key to connection. And I'm assuming you're talking about your staff and yourself uh, to being vulnerable with them. Yeah. So I guess from a leadership point of view, but even even just working um, in a workplace, I I made the mistake early on in my um, professional career of, of being sort of very closed off and only showing parts of me that I thought that needed to be shown in the environment. Mm-hmm. So being, you know, sort of yeah, being, being quite closed off and only talking if spoken to, that sort of thing. And I went through a few challenges going through that where people wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't um, connect with me as much, you know, become friends with me, I guess, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until working my third workplace that I kind of sort of figured it out in a sense or didn't want to go through that pain again where I thought, okay, well, by showing, by showing the softer sides of yourself, um, by, by opening up just a little bit, can start to build that connection with other people. Mm. And for me, it started as, sim- as you know, as simple as when someone asks how your day is going, saying anything uh, more than just good, just elaborating a little bit. Yeah, slowly sort of built that up. So it's um, it's it's really it's really key. And I guess for those that are leading organisations, if you want your staff to connect with you and and I guess align with what you're doing, if if you're not showing parts of you that may not be the best parts, even just little little bits at a time, because it you know, it doesn't mean divulging your deepest and darkest secrets, but <laughs> even just, just opening up even if it's just opening up just a little bit, um, can really start to build that connection with others. How do you feel cause you there there is a um not really a facade, but there is this stereotype that you see as cooks and I'm always, you know, revolving it around around a kitchen. Do you think you probably seen his shows, uh, Chef Ramsay. Yeah, I've seen like Hell's Kitchen uh, and Gordon stuff. Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Gordon Ramsay. Mm-hmm. How do you feel his show pertains to actual, like an actual kitchen, like an actual functioning kitchen? I think it really depends on the kitchen itself. But from from my experience, from what I've seen, it it doesn't it doesn't portray it as 
you know, obviously it's for, it's for TV, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to show the, you know, the most extreme cases. So in, yeah. terms, of, in terms of that representing the average of what the average sort of restaurant or, um, or cafe looks like, it, it really doesn't. It's, um, I mean, chefs typically do, I guess, the stereotype is they've got big egos. Yeah. And they want to do things their way and they don't want to listen to anyone. Um, so that's definitely the stereotype in the market. But from what I've seen, it's much more subdued and much more softened than what's portrayed on TV, much like any reality TV show, really. Yeah. It's, um, it's often the extreme cases that get promoted. It's just, it's an intriguing question because oftentimes, and I mean, a good 90% of the time I always get asked, it's like, hey, is it like that show, you know, House Kitchen? Like you just kind of yell at your staff, I need this, I need that. In a way it is on Saturdays, especially in the weekends. Um, where we do 85% of our business. Yes, sometimes I, I get yelly and a little mean, but not to the point where I berate them in front of staff, you know? Yeah, it comes back to having respect in your organization. If you want your staff to leave, then yeah, by all means berate them. But, you know, if you want to build it, like you said, you're, you're quite strong on building that team culture. You know, there are, there are often other ways to reprimand, but not reprimand in public. Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that because if you... Even if you think about it, if you put yourself into their shoes, right, all of a sudden, chef is just berating you in front of everybody. And I mean, on Saturday, we have, I'm going to say, 12 on the line that everybody can kind of hear each other with an earshot. If you were just to pick one out and really just lay it down on them, they wouldn't feel the best. Like, why would you do that to somebody? And they're grown people, you know? Yeah, and it sends the, sends the message down to everybody else as well. You know, you're not just berating one person. You really sort of, you know, everyone can see that when you do it in public. Yeah, it's not a not you know not, not only not only everyone down the line, but you know, your front of house and maybe even your customers if you're loud enough. If if that's your sort of way to do it, so yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad you uh you take a different approach. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in terms of business, though, where your business values should come from. Now, is that a question for um, staff? management or is that just like an overall kind of question yeah so that, that's probably like an overall question for an organization but at the heart of every organization is the founder mm-hmm. and so the values of the organization really do need to stem from from them but it's and it's not it's not what you aspire to be in a sense it's not what it's they're not aspirational values but the, what they are is your sort of as a founder your your true values from yourself Mm-hmm. so that you can you know you can draw them out and um and have them as business values in a sense got uh, it so, i've been in a lot of organi- i've been in a lot of organizations who have values but they're sort of aspirational and they don't really live by them whereas if they, if they come from the founder themselves and sort of communicated on how to meet those values on a on a daily basis mm-hmm. then they come become much more entrenched and um, belong to the organization now, are we talking about constant communication, like over so to kind of get the point? Or are we actually training right beside them, making sure they understand the values and how the business needs to be run? Or are we are we talking more in a general sense, kind of, hey, this is what we we're talking about. Please adhere to it. Because I, I've been in organizations also where there's core values. They kind of do follow it, but then... When it's when it's really time to show it, it kind of falls. It kind of falls a little bit because one, they didn't train me enough. Two, 
um, maybe they don't know themselves how it's um, how it's upheld. Uh, and then the other three restaurants I work for, it's kind of just it, it revolves around the chef pretty much and how they see fit, which is not really a good business model to begin with. Yeah, so I guess it's 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 a range of things, but it's it's definitely how you live them on a on a daily basis, so that when it does, when you are going through those stressful times, it's not a oh, what are what are our values again? Let's let's see them. It's you're sort of living and breathing them on a daily basis. So it really comes down to the actions that you take as a as a business and as staff members and as leaders of the organization as well. Everyone sort of needs to believe in them, mm-hmm. and I guess that comes out back down then to the hiring process is if you have if you have values then make sure your hiring process is based on those values because if they're not then what you end up doing is you end up hiring people who don't match those values which means it'll become harder for them for you to train them up to adhere to those values and then there might be a bit of conflict and it doesn't mean they have to match every single value of your business but you know more than not that they should so if you've got five values make sure they match at least three yeah 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 uh, I'm with you. Have you, or rather, do you have any allergies to any food? Not that I know of. Um, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite lucky. There's nothing that I've eaten that I've had an allergic reaction to at all. Uh, family history, I don't think, has a lot. So I'm quite lucky in that sense. So I can eat whatever, really, and wow. um, and be okay. Good. Well, welcome to the few and the proud, I always mention. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I wish I can show you pictures um, daily, or rather, should I say hourly, in my restaurant. There's always an allergy to something. And more so than not, it's either dairy or gluten. And I think it's just people not wanting to eat the items, um, but we have to treat them as allergies nonetheless, as they say, an allergy. But I always like asking that because I think, I think I've only gotten two that were allergic to one that's shellfish and the other one is allergic to cow which is a weird thing but they they can't they can't consume any products nor the, the meat itself uh, because they um not like go into shock but they like they get hives which is a weird allergy to to cows to have that's yeah that's really weird i've, I've heard of not eating cows from a religious standpoint and i can understand that but from a yeah, I've, I've never heard of someone having an allergic reaction to um to to meat. Mm-hmm. Is it was it just cows or was it just you know it wasn't lamb or pork nope, or just any cow. other just okay? Yeah, it's the it's the actual cows and something about that um that protein just doesn't sit well in his body. Uh, but you know, I I always like asking the question, but he he actually refuses to eat anything dairy made, but. I don't know if you knew this, um, 90% of the population is allergic to dairy. Like we're not supposed to consume to begin with. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that from a, you know, obviously, you know, when, you, when you're a baby, you have your mother's milk and to have, you know, a, an animal milk as a substitute growing up is not the best thing to have. It is not. It's uh, it's actually pretty bad for you. Almost, almost all of us are lactose intolerant, but just because we kind of get seasoned is the the term I like to use. It's not so much. It doesn't reflect right away. Maybe to more more seasoned uh, folks, like they they'll use the bathroom a little later on. But nonetheless, it's still not for consumption. Because if you think about it, 
the cow's milk is for her calf. And that's pretty much all it is. Just like uh, our mother's milk is made for us. So do not, I mean, I'm not saying don't eat dairy, but be more aware uh, when you eat dairy. Yeah, it's something to keep in mind for sure. Uh, another food thing for you. Are you have you tried vegetarian or vegan? Yeah, I have. Um, so I think Mum made a veg, uh, vegan dessert once, and I had that. Um, and I've got, I've, I've eaten it, but it's not something I would seek out to eat if that makes sense. But I had a friend at work who he made a it was jackfruit, so it was like a um, jackfruit dish, and jackfruit got when it. it's cooked up slowly is it's like pulled pork, and I had mm. a bit. It tasted delicious. It really tasted like the real thing. Yeah, jackfruit. So, yeah, I've, is, I've uh, had it before. Jackfruit's amazing. We use it more so in my cuisine, Filipino cuisine, Asian cuisine. Uh, we use it a lot in desserts because it has a uh, not a meaty texture, but it gives you um, it gives you a mouthfeel that no other fruit has, and that that's the only one that one that kind of has it. Plus, if you stew it with a little bit of sugar, it's like. Um, if you've ever taken peaches and just dehydrate it, kind of, that's like the texture it becomes after cooking it. It's it's freaking delicious. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do with it all. Um, let's do one of your other questions. Um, or rather, I'll save that one because I like that question last. How do small changes to your routine can leverage your impact? I, I like this question because, one, I always try to find something better than I to what I'm doing daily. Just like today, I had a, I had an inspection today on my restaurant and we got wrecked. We got wrecked for an inspection. And when I say inspection, this is our in-house inspector for our company. Uh, he was nailing me for every little bit of thing. Uh, so much so that, or rather to give you an example, there was a piece of cube, an ice cube, and I'm, I'm talking about maybe an inch or so around, and it was in my hand sink. He noted it. He was like, hey, what is that? And I'm going to go, it's, it's just a piece of ice. It must have fallen through, you know, when we were icing something. He's like, that's not supposed to be there. And he moved on. And I'm like, okay, that's how we're going to start today. And I actually, um, I failed our inspection today with our with our company. That's uh, that, that's really rough. Obviously, your it's company rough. has very, very high high standards um, yeah. that they that they want to meet. So I wonder what the... I wonder why they have it. I wonder what they've gone through to have such high standards. Maybe they've experienced some negative press in the past and they've put play- things in place to have those really, really high standards. Mm-hmm. It's it's always a revolving standard every month. There's a new procedure. There's a new item. I don't know if you worked with food long enough or rather or certified for any of the, uh, the HACCP controls is what we call it here. And... Um, Every month, there's a new process being made for preparation on any type of food. So last month, there was a new thing on how we can keep fish on top of ice. Before, we couldn't uh, let it touch ice. It needs to be on a pan uh, and then on top of it. This time around, it's allotted to be on top of the fish in a bag. Obviously, it can be direct contact. But things like that, every, every month, there's a new thing that we have to keep on track of. Um, and not only just the preparation, uh, we also talking about chemicals and um, how it needs to be done, how it can be performed, what tool needs to be, etc. It's a lot, and it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. When I worked at the food court, there was a lot of you know we had different colored chopping boards for different 
items, you know, chemicals were stored in a different area. We had a lot of training around what to use. So I can, I can understand, I guess, in, you know, the, the there's a, there is a lot of compliance when you're working in the food industry, when it comes to food safety. And I guess it's such an important thing mm-hmm. that sometimes, you know, people can go not overboard, but obviously there are, there are new discoveries and, so there's always sort of updating standards that need to happen and, and to be communicated. But it must be must be hard for you as an owner to it's you know ridiculous. you know to comply with all those you know changing standards, still run the business, still train your staff, train them to make sure that they're doing it because it's you know it's okay if you know, but does everyone else know? Yeah, to constantly a, communicate that. So it's a it's an ongoing process. Ongoing process. But how do you think small changes impact though? on your on your daily routine yeah so i guess w- w- when you think about it every everything you do is is when you go through your day you're, you're doing a succession of, of tasks mm-hmm. and when you change one of them it might be you know for example getting up half an hour earlier or it might be going to bed half an hour earlier what ends and you, and you keep consistent with that what ends up happening is think these start these small changes that you make start to compound and, you know, that, that half an hour, for example, say you, you go to bed half an hour earlier, you might have a, a better quality night's sleep. Mm-hmm. You might get up earlier. That then might lead you to, you know, do exercise in the morning, which then might make you feel fresher for the day. So you're more productive. You're more energized. You may end up making a customer's – you might end up having a better chance of making a customer's day because you're in a better mood. Yeah. They then – leave a review because they have had a, they've had a great experience. Someone reads that review and comes to your business. So I guess from such a small change can lead to these cascading effects and it can be really anything that you do if, you've, if done consistently. It works the other way too. So if you have bad routines or bad habits and start to have them and build upon them, then they can take you down as much as the good ones can take you up. So it's just yeah, good good to be mindful of what you're doing and not to dismiss, you know, what a small change can, can do, even though you you may think it's quite small, but if done over a period of time regularly can start to really add up. Mm, I I really like this question because I I covered it in my podcast too. I I call it the small wins. Everyone, if we have a a big, like right now, I call it uh, my big hurdle, right? Since we failed our inspection, I'm going to take small bites out of it on a weekly basis and see if we can win on it. If we win on it, even though it's a bigger picture, I'm still chomping out down. I'm ch- I'm still chomping down at the mountain per se. And eventually I'll be on top of that mountain. So small wins for me is a, is a good habit to have. And I can't, um, another thing that I used to say, you can't go from one to 100 in a day. You go one to 100 in maybe a few months. So, I, I, that question to me, it's, it, it hits home to, to what I do. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and sometimes, you know, you might have a, like you said, you've got, you've got this massive task now, that, but you've, but breaking it down and, and into more manageable bits, you can really start to, to build that momentum. And that's often the hardest part when I guess going after something big is, is building that momentum to begin with. Once you get yeah. started, it can be easier to build upon it. Definitely agree. Now I saved the last question for last, only because the last question for last. I saved the the one question for last because I feel that this is, at least for for the processes that I do, um, 
I, it really resounds to what I do. Because, like I said, you can't go from 1 to 100. So your question is why you don't need to see each step in a process to start your journey. Yeah, so really come, I guess that that's something that I've learned through experience. So I guess through, I guess through school, when I was, whenever I was tackling a problem, I would, I'd only be comfortable or confident in tackling the problem if I could see what, what I wanted it to look like right at the end. And unless I could Mm -hmm. see that, I wouldn't make any, um, wouldn't make any progress. But what I'm learning is, you know, you may have an idea of what it could be, but don't, don't not start because you don't know how it's going to be exactly because the path will change as you go along and as you learn yeah. and take those steps, then what you thought you wanted or what you thought you were after may shift and may change. And so knowing that what becomes important is just taking that first step or just looking mm-hmm. at what, what are the one thing you can do this week to make your business better? You know, what's the, and then do that and then next week you know ask yourself the same question and then over time you'll start to you know progress but if you if you sort of procrastinate and leave it and go look i, I don't know what the ultimate i don't know what my ultimate sort of vision or, or, or direction sorry I don't, I don't know what my ultimate endpoint is mm. and you're worried about crafting that perfect endpoint as opposed to taking the steps towards it um, you can really leave yourself, you know, not making any progress after months. But if you just make that, you know, that that's back to having those small changes or those small wins. If you just look at, okay, what's what's the most important thing I need to do this week to, you know, to build a better team culture, to better the systems, to understand the new compliance measures that have been um, involved in my business and focus on meeting that and keep doing that over a period of time, you'll find that you'll make progress towards where you're going anyway and it you know then other options will open up as you make that progress you sound so awesome you know that i just want (laughs) to are you are you sure you're not part asian because you sound like an old like an old asian you know what i mean like that you've already yes sensei that's how i want to kind of talk to you <laughs> I've been I've been mistaken for Japanese. I don't look Japanese when I was in Italy for a little bit, but um no, I'm not I don't think I have any uh any Asian heritage in me. But it's I guess it's yeah, it's just through through lived experience, I guess. And you know, making those those failures and overcoming those challenges. You know, um I want to I want to suggest something to you. So I'm going to type it out in a little bit, but uh there is a documentary on Netflix. I'm I'm pretty sure it's still there. You can find it because mm-hmm. they have a slew of things on there, but this one will resound with you because of the just the way your methodical and your processes go in your head. It's the same likewise with me. That's why I I appreciate uh this time with you. Um Hero Dreams of Sushi. So I'm going to type it for you right now. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever heard of this documentary and and Netflix, but this is essentially a guy from when he was sixteen worked in the same sushi restaurant, and then he became the owner of it, and then still at ninety years old, like I think I want to say a few years ago, still doing the same thing, and he feels as if he still hasn't reached the pinnacle of what he do of what the sushi for him means and just the just the just his story and how how he's always on a quest for for something better than what he does the day before 
that to me is the epitome of what uh, my restaurant should be, or even just the, just the thought of having processes done on a daily basis. I want to be that guy. So if you don't mind, and if you got some time, and if you remember it, just take a stab at that. I think it's like an hour. You'll breeze right through it. And it's dubbed also, or not dubbed, it's, uh, it's subbed. So you'll be able to get some, um, some value on it. Because I think just the story and how he goes about his day, uh, it literally covers all these questions that we, uh, that we uh, discussed today. Yeah, thanks. I'll, um, I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that he's on a quest um, to, to always do better even when he's 90 years old and to be okay, I guess, in doing that and not, not feeling uh, lesser, I guess. Mm-hmm. in a sense keeps at it he was like how mm-hmm. can i make this rice better or how can we season this a little better and he keeps saying it to himself like a almost like a muttering insane thing i i do this all the time at the restaurant too i i mutter to myself i'm like how can i get this a little faster or what can i do to make this more efficient all to myself during the line during the busy and people think i'm a little nuts but i think we're all nuts uh working in a restaurant but you know different opinion altogether. Oh, you've got to have a bit of crazy only, in you, for sure. Everyone, everyone, everyone has to, and, and draw upon it. It's okay to have that, that little bit of uh, quirkiness. <laughs> only got a couple more questions for you, Aiden. Sure. If you don't mind. Favorite food and how do you prepare it? Ooh, it's a tough one. I'd say probably the most hmm. spaghetti bolognese is probably one of my Ooh. favorites. And it's we use a... Uh, the best way to prepare it is we, as a family, used to make tomato sauce um, mm-hmm. every every around Christmas time, um, so summer in here in Australia, and using that sauce that we created in the dish, and then just slow cooking it over a number of hours uh, to cook the mince down with a bit of onion and garlic, nothing fancy. It's, um, it's probably one of my favorite dishes with a bit of parmesan on top at the end and a bit of be- a bit of basil. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Salt, pepper, tomatoes. I'm there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a final question for you, and I think you'll, you'll appreciate this, but I think it's a different form in your country. Have you ever eaten Spam? Ah, I've seen Spam, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever <laughs> eaten it. None yeah. at all. Like no, oh. no. Ooh, no, I think I have. I'm trying to remember back. Mum might have made it in a dish, not, not, not separately but i remember i don't know how she used it but i remember opening the can and it's i can remember what it looks like <laughs> it's pink meat <laughs> yes it, it's uh yeah it, it's is amazing it corn, is it corned beef no it's not what is spam? no it's not corned beef so spam is the after they process the the pork mm-hmm. all the little bits because i don't know if you knew this you can use the pork from head to tail 100 mm-hmm. percent. so instead of wasting the end pieces uh, they found a process where they kind of let it congeal in itself after it's cooked. And that's what that tin is. It's cooked pork. Um, but it can ship after you uh, after you put the pink salt on it. That's right. why it gives it a, 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 a hue. And pink salt is just a, a technical, not really chemical, but um, it's used for butcher. Like if you make sausages and stuff, mm-hmm. they, they add the pink salt to not really hardened, but it, it congeals it better so you can shape the meat. And that's what it is. That's all it is. Right. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't had it after I left home. And I can, yeah, all I can remember is I, I've had it once or a couple of times, but that's, that's about it. I can't remember how it was used. <laughs> now, Vegemite or no? I had Vegemite. I, I don't have it at the moment, but I, I don't mind. A bit of Vegemite on toast with eggs, great, because Vegemite's quite a salty. Um, it's really just salt. It's a lot of salt, basically. Um, yeah. It's multi salt. That's why I. Yeah, that's why I, I tied it together because it's the same thing. Uh, spam is essentially just salt, mm. but made out of pork and stuff. Uh, Vegemite, uh, more of a um, like a process to get that all together, but it is salty and you can use it um, just like it. I've had Vegemite. I don't mind it. I dig it. Mm-hmm. I I eat it. Yeah, it's worth worth trying at least once if you haven't tried it. Just just to <laughs> no. understand. <laughs> Just to kind of just to kind of see what it is now, Aiden. Mm. I don't have any more questions for you. I understand the concept of time. Thank you for giving me forty five of your minutes. Now, there's a part of the show where I kind of ask um, where they can find your show and uh, what is the name of the podcast again, one more time, so they can uh, so they can kind of search for it. Yeah. So for those interested, uh, for those running small businesses or um, or think you're running a business in the future and want a bit of advice on on how to start and you know, what to consider, then really recommend checking out Stories Behind the Grind. And it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any um, any of your favorite podcasting apps. So um, feel free to check it out and, um, and send me a yeah, send me a message um, and let me know how you find it. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Aiden, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I'll make sure to link all the stuff below so everybody can kind of find it. But uh, for everybody else, Chef's Meal airs every Monday where I call it live in a restaurant where my sous chef and I talk about the week and uh, how our weekends entail in a business. And then chef's meal on Thursdays where people like Aiden and he shares about his stories behind the grind. Aiden, thank you so much. I appreciate oh, it. Really th- thanks again. Really, really have fun um, talking and riffing and, and t- talking all things food and, and business. Appreciate your time.